Well, good morning. Good morning. Turn your Bibles, if you would, please, to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. It's good to be back. Nice to be here in August as opposed to July, where I think you had so much heat out here in July. Well, I have to be honest, I wish I was back in Yosemite. Any, any amens to that? Let's pray. Father, we do just thank you for this new day that you've given us, Lord, and we do thank you for you and for your precious Son and for the Spirit of God. We thank you that we do have a God who cares so much for us, as we've just heard in song, and we bless you for that. And we thank you for this passage of Scripture, which reminds us and shows us again just how much you do care, and we are very grateful for that. Lord, we pray that you'll just open the word to us, that, Lord, we will leave here um, encouraged, uh, reminded, um, challenged by your word, and uh, all the more be in awe of you, Lord, even more than when we were when we walked in. We want to give you glory and just give you uh, praise for this day and for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Got all this gear on me today. I want to ask you a question that I was asked many years ago. I'm sure you've heard it before, but maybe there's one or two that haven't. If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? I mean, when I ask that question and I say, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? That you're able to answer that question with the least amount, with absolutely no hesitation by being able to say either yes for the Christian or maybe are you here this morning kind of wondering, you know, be perfectly honest with you, I'm not 100% sure. If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? I remember back when I was 16 years old, and that was only just a few years ago, but I didn't know the answer to that question. And I don't know why it's different for every individual, but I remember at 16 kind of just laying out on the lawn on this street that I grew up on. I was over at a friend's house and I was looking up into the sky. When we think of heaven, it's often described as up. And we would just think, I would think, you know, I really don't know where I'm going. And that whole thought troubled me. You know, at 16, a lot of times you have a lot of different things on your mind. But for some reason, God had begun impressing on my heart eternity. And it's something that I was conscious of, even as a teenager, that we're not going to be on this earth forever. I don't know if you do this, and maybe this comes with age. I've heard this comes more with age, but when I turn uh, to a newspaper, I look to the sports section pretty quick. That tends to be in baseball season where I go first. And then I look in the local section to see if they've got the stories right of what happened in Hayward with any accuracy as to what really happened. I want to tell you there's some things that aren't accurate that's in the paper And then I turn, I don't know if there's anybody else that does this, but I turn to the obituaries. Seems a little bit morbid, but it reminds me when I look at the obituaries, I start to look and I start to just look at uh, names, names that really, to be honest, unless I know the person, don't mean anything to me. But what I look at is that I just kind of see what their ages were and what maybe it says of how they died and who they were survived by. And I was just looking yesterday, and there was a person here, and I won't give their names, and it's, it's kind of a short list yesterday, but a person 88 years old, person 84, 77, 68, 
66. And I don't know if you do this or not, but when you sometimes look at these and you, you wonder, you, where, where are these people today? Did they know Christ? And it reminds you, and maybe when you pass the cemetery and you, you see the tombstones, that unless the Lord Jesus returns, that's at least where our body is going to be, and thankfully our soul is going to be with him. But we're not going to be walking as we know today on this earth forever. What is the basis of our hope? You know, it's interesting in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, and you don't need to turn to this because we're going to be looking at John chapter 11. We're told that the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm quoting from the scriptures, declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. And the interesting thing on that word for dead in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, is that word for dead is in the plural. It could also be translated through the resurrection of dead persons. He's declared to be the Son of God with power. Think of the gospel stories. You have the daughter of Jairus. You have the son of the widow of Nain that the Lord resurrected from the dead. And in John chapter 11, we've got this wonderful story of Lazarus. We've got quite a few verses to go through together. And I want to talk about Lazarus because there is a number of things in this big picture of death that we can see, but also another, a number of little insights as to how we ought to live our Christian life. So let's look through it together. I'm going to read a couple verses and then let's see what God's word says and we'll go through this amazing story, this miracle of our God. It says in chapter 11, verse 1, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, of the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. You know, it's a good thing that when you come to the scriptures to see what it's saying, you know, try and understand what it's saying, what questions come to your mind, and to see from the scriptures how we can best answer these, and to then see, are there applications that I can take, even in one verse, for my life today? And there's a number of small things that struck me as I was reading this, and I want to share them with you, and I'm sure you've seen many of these yourself, if not even more. You know, it says in this verse that there was a certain man who was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, of the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, I don't know how many people lived in Bethany. I haven't done enough study on that. I'm not sure. I'm sure historians maybe can give us some kind of insight on that. But isn't it interesting that the scriptures point out that the Spirit of God has John record that Bethany was of the village of Mary and her sister Martha. When the Lord looked at Bethany, he saw the town of Mary and Martha. And it's kind of an interesting thought, isn't it? That when the Lord Jesus looks wherever you live, I wonder, does he see it as the the town or the village or the city of where Steve and Jennifer reside? Or wherever your name is, what's what's it like? Is this the city that he recognizes and he has a special place for us in his heart because he sees that's where you live. That's where somebody lives who worships him and who has welcomed him into their heart, into his heart, and wants the Lord Jesus. 
And it isn't interesting also when you look at verse 2, that the Spirit of God wants recorded for all of us to read what this precious act was of worship that Mary did. I trust you're familiar with it. Turn to that section in the scripture later today if you're not too sure, but how the Lord was so impressed with this act of worship and how Mary anointed the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, the more I'm living with four daughters, she's, now she's awake, 19 down to 12, I realize just a little bit, in this, even in this American culture, how precious a hair is to a woman. For that matter, it's becoming more and more precious to a man, I'm sure, too. But it was a big deal. A woman's hair is her glory. And for Mary to make this act of worship and to do this precious thing for Jesus Christ was just fantastic. And the scripture wants us to remember it. That the Lord loves our passion. And he loves when we worship him in spirit and in truth. And we're willing to go ways for him that people might even think is a little bit crazy and a little bit absurd and ridiculous to do. As the disciples did there, you know, you're wasting a lot of uh, ointment there. It's expensive stuff. And yet that's what she wanted to do for Jesus Christ. And he was impressed with it. And he made sure that it got recorded in Scripture. Well, it says that the Lord was away and it was a full two days journey from Bethany. If he was either walking or riding. And we're not really sure. Now we come to verse 3. Let's keep reading together. The sisters therefore sent to him saying, Lord... Behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when therefore he heard that he was sick, he stayed then two days longer in the place where he was. Well, they sent a message. Had a really special relationship, Martha and Mary, with Jesus. He loved them, the Bible says. And so they did the wise thing. They sent a message. They had seen what he had done. They had seen the miracles that he had committed before. And they probably thought, when they sent this message to him about their brother Lazarus, that he would come at once. And he would cure whatever this disease was, whatever this illness was that Lazarus had. It was obviously more than just a common cold. It was something very significant. And he, he would save the life of his friend. And so they did the right thing by getting him called. And yet, interestingly enough, when he heard the news, rather than rushing back, you know, running back, getting on a horse or donkey and just galloping back to the scene, he stays two days longer. It's interesting, John chapter 3, verse 9 says that the man who was born blind was done so, and Jesus says this, so that God's power might be seen. Do you believe this morning that God has a purpose for everything that happens in our lives? That God's got a purpose? Is that, is that how you think? Or is that the kind of the last thought that comes to your mind after you've gone through it? Or is it maybe the first thought? What's God got in store in this situation in my life? When he heard the news, there was no hurry to return. If you heard that news, 
humanly speaking, probably when it's somebody that you love, somebody that's dear to you, if you heard that news and there was any way that you could be helped, probably your first reaction is, I'm going to go. I'm going to get there as fast as I can. Yet Jesus didn't have that approach. No hurry. And that's the problem for us, isn't it? That God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His timing is not always our timing. Often it's not. We live in the age of the instant. We can just pop something in a microwave and we get that instant coffee. We want instant macaroni and cheese. You pop it in the microwave. You don't even have to boil water anymore on the stove. Instant. 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 You go through a drive through expecting it to be instant. And sometimes it isn't any longer. And you're waiting longer than if you'd gone in the line and gotten out of your car. But it's the concept that we live in a culture of hurry. I want it now. 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 I don't want to wait. I think we've, we've lost something in a patience in the culture we live in now that just isn't the, uh, this is it. And if I've got to wait. I get people who call me, you know, they call in, at the police department because there's, you know, somebody's got loud music next door. I heard about 25 of those overnight. And then they, some people will call back within five minutes. When are you coming? When are you coming? And I love sometimes to be able to say, you know, we just had a murder, so it'll be a little bit, and we're kind of tied up right now. And then, oh, Okay. Some don't react, oh, okay, they still want you there. (laughs) You know, on this point here, sometimes, and if we're being really honest with each other, sometimes when God seems to wait so long, we're tempted, we're tempted to think, and this can come from the, the devil, that Jesus is indifferent to our circumstances. That if he really cared... If he really cared, then he would answer my request immediately, the way I want it answered, just how I want it. And when this, the heavens are silent, whatever that request is that we're bringing to the Lord, and obviously this was a hugely significant one, a loved one is sick and he's dying, and we need you, Lord. We need you more than ever. Jesus, when hearing the news, decides to stay on two more days. We've got to understand that that could not be farther from the truth that Jesus is indifferent. Hardly. Just was sung this morning, how much he cares for us. And we have to remind ourselves about this over and over because we live in a society that really can care less about a lot of issues and about most people. And we can kind of sometimes think, does God care? Does he care? And he does. 1 Peter 5, 7, you know the verse probably. Cast all your anxiety upon him because what? He cares for you. And the Bible tells us that he cared for Martha. He cared for Mary. He cared for Lazarus. He loved them. We've got to have the bigger view to say, if God delays, it's because he's got some plan. He's got something that he wants to do in connection with that answer that I need to see, that I need to have my eyes open for to be able to hear what it is. And be able to see it. Be able to ask ourselves the question, how can God show his power at this time in my life? And as the text says of what he was doing, how can Jesus be glorified 
in my life. Verse 4 again, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. You're a rich Christian. You're a, you're a maturing believer when you have in, the, in your mind God's glory in the way you live. It's not to your glory, and it's not all about our agenda and what we want, but it's the idea of saying, whatever's going on here, Lord, I pray that the way I behave, I pray that the way I respond is for the glory of God. And so that when other people see how you've responded in whatever that situation, whatever that need is, they say, wow. And we don't understand. It's interesting, in John thirteen seven, when Jesus was talking to the disciples about uh, washing the feet, he said something that really is very true. That's all he spoke was the truth. But he said this, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And that's a verse we really ought to claim probably for so much of our life. John thirteen seven. you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. You and I today, if we're honest, we don't understand a lot of things and a lot of times what God is doing in our lives. I don't know of anybody here who says, I've got it all figured out. I understand everything that happens from the start of the day to the end of the day as to why God's allowed this in my life, what the circumstance of here, why this happened, why he delayed in this, why he responded as quickly in this. I've got it all. I can explain it to you. I don't think we can. Sometimes he lets us see it. Sometimes by his mercy and grace, he says, I'm going to reveal to you right now why I did what I did. Other times, you and I, and we know this, are going to have to wait. And the answer is going to be revealed to us, I believe, in heaven. It's going to take maybe sometimes all eternity for us to understand all the purposes and the wonderings and the workings of God. But it's there for us. It's that hope. The disciples were in that situation, weren't they? When Jesus went to the cross, on the surface of it, it looked like the darkest day, the most miserable, the most pathetic, the most terrible situation that could ever happen in human history occurred in that day. And there was no, maybe for many of them, understanding he's dead. The one that we followed, the one that we gave our lives up for, the one that we love and the one that we were so just with, and we we cared for. He died. Why couldn't he save himself, like they said? He saved others, but why didn't he save himself? And yet we see the glory of the cross and the fact that Jesus Christ rose three days later. And because of the fact that he's the resurrection and the life, you and I have that promise because of what Jesus did. You and I have got to understand that there's waiting on And there's waiting for God. And I'm sure if you think about this, Maritha and Mary watched for the Lord. They probably every moment thought, as soon as he gets that message, he's coming. Can you imagine the anticipation? I mean, if you were in their shoes, would you have been, um, you know, there wasn't cell phones. There weren't pagers. um, There wasn't instant messaging. So they must have been outside and they must have been, you know, scanning the horizon. He's coming. He's coming any minute. Is that him? Is that him? And then, no, it isn't. Hour after hour, even day after day, and still, he didn't come. And Lazarus, as the script tells us, passed away. 
And they may have said, or they may have thought, where is Jesus? Not a word. Not even a message. Was he, was he concerned about their broken heart? Those of you who have lost a loved one, you know what it's like to have a broken heart. Gosh, they saw the Lord do all these things. And, and, the, and the one that they, they knew that he loved them, and yet, where is he? And yet, they were going to learn lessons that they would never have learned. And we wouldn't have this miracle recorded if he'd come back right there and healed him of a sickness just in that situation. God's timing was perfect when it appears that it wasn't terribly, terribly late. You and I with the eyes of faith today have to understand the perfect timing of God in our lives and not be on this roller coaster rush of God's got to do it just when I want it and just when I think he should do it. Well, there's a whole lot more in there and I think you get the idea, but there's a lot there just to meditate in that section of scripture. But let's move on. Let's read verse 7 down to verse 16. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples therefore said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. And then Jesus, Jesus therefore said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sake that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And verse 16, Thomas, therefore, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Well, you go back to the verse part there in verse 7. He'd been severely persecuted in Judea. And Jesus says, and he doesn't do, doesn't do as what man would think he should do. Man thinks, you know what? Let's just go north. Let's just... Let's just go as far away as possible from that place where you were so severely persecuted and they tried to stone you. Let's go somewhere where you're going to get a good reception. Let's go a more favorable route. But the Lord says, no, we're not going to do it that way. And then he says to them these words about night and day. And really the big idea to get here is that day symbolizes knowledge where night symbolizes an absence of knowledge. And Jesus, in effect, says to them, I know what I'm doing. And I know what my Father has made clear to me what I need to do. And therefore, I'm going to do it. Because I am walking in the light. And he said to them, our friend Lazarus is asleep, but I'm going to awaken him. Now, this is a significant principle for us to understand as well. That when you and I are in that kind of in-tune frequency with God, you know like a radio station when you're trying to find the frequency and it's kind of off, 
It's not really where it should be. But when we're right there on that frequency, and we're tuned in by the Spirit of God, what God wants for our lives, then there's a tremendous comfort in walking in the knowledge and in the light of what He has revealed to us, which will never contradict His Word. Never, ever, ever contradict His Word. And Jesus was so in tune with His Father. Jesus lived a life of utter and total dependence on what God, His Father, wanted Him to do. He would not act on His own initiative, the Scriptures tell us. This is 180 degrees different from the way a lot of us are because we kind of live sometimes on our own initiative. We kind of do it our way, as Frank Sinatra would say. And we're not really sure, maybe sometimes, is this what God wants for me? But I know that you have testimonies where you could tell and you could share with us today that when you have clearly seen the hand of God in your life and he has clearly revealed to you in scripture through the counsel of others what it is he wants you to do, then you go 100% forward in the knowledge that you're in his will. But if you start relying on human reasoning and the disciples here, it seems like good sense. Let's not go back there. Didn't you realize you were just, they could have killed you. And yet we know the Lord said, they can't, they can't touch me until it, it's the right time and my father is going to allow me to be crucified, as he would later say. That's a tremendous thing to know that when you're in the center of God's will, there's no harm to you that happens that isn't outside of his will. And that's an amazing thing. That's an insurance policy that I'll take any day over what I can get in on paper and that I've got to pay for. Way too much money. The disciples thought that Jesus meant physical sleep, didn't he? And he tells them plainly, three words, Lazarus is dead. And I know when he said those words, he said it with compassion, he said it with authority, and they got it. And Jesus tells them their faith in him is going to be stretched and strengthened more, than a, and more strongly than if he had healed him while he was sick. And Thomas is replying, verse 16, to be honest with you, I'm a little bit, a little confused by it. Look at it again, verse 16. He says, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, what, did he, what does he mean there? There's really kind of two views. Is Thomas showing uh, by this sentence that he is being courageous? And, you know, he's saying in effect, you know, I really don't understand why you're going back. I don't really understand the route. You know, it seems to me like we're going into danger. But out of loyalty to you and with courage, I'm going to stand with you, Jesus. And let us also go, he tells the rest of the disciples, so that we may die with him. Is is it a sentence of that positive courage? Or is it kind of a pessimistic response? Well, let's also go with him so we may die with him, you know, just kind of resignation. I don't know. I like to think, I like to think that it's a, it's a man who gets this bum rap always of being doubting Thomas, you know. It just seems like he's got that, you know, jacket and nobody will ever let him shake it in any situation. I'd like to think that these are words of loyalty and courage on his part. And I'd like to think that we can take those words and say, you know, I'm going to follow you, Lord, whatever the cost. Now, that's easy to say. But when the circumstances come and when the chips are down, is that our response? 
I'm going to follow you, whatever. I'm going to be a fool for you. I don't care if people in my school, I don't care if people at my job, I don't care wherever I am, if they laugh at me and mock me and I get somehow slighted or I get kind of left out of the circle because I'm a follower of Jesus, so be it. Let us also go that we may die with him. You ponder that for yourself. Well, then we come to verse 17. We're getting to this marvelous story. We're keeping going here. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Scripture and the Spirit of God through John's writing wants it very clear that this man died. It hadn't been just an hour, two hours, four hours, four days. And I understand, and Mike will know this from first experience, a body that's been dead four days. You know it's dead. You smell it. The stench is unmistakable. I've seen cops humbled by going to a dead body. Disrespect to how they cope with it and how nauseating and what a sickening feeling and smell it is to see. But Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days and now Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off. I love the fact that the scriptures are giving us all the accurate Specific details here. No generalities. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming to meet him, but Mary sat... Or let me read that verse again. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary still sat in the house. Martha, therefore, said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. You know, it's a difficult uh, little bit the challenge for somebody who's addressing this passage of Scripture is to try and interpret and understand exactly how these sentences are being said. Because if you believe from reading the Greek and trying to understand, are these words of a certain amount of accusation? Are these, certain, are these words of, of faith? Are there any, is there any hint of blame as to, you know, Lord, if you had been here? Exactly, you know, how do you interpret it? And we'll try and go through that briefly together. Verse 17 tells us that Lazarus had been dead four days. And it says, you know, and it's good to it's just good to notice these details and not just miss this. It says that Mary stayed home. And if you're an inquisiting person and and you sh- you you know you should rightly ask questions when you come to the scripture and just say, well, you know, I wonder what this means. And Lord, give me insight to understand this and reveal this to me so I can I can get this. You know, you might just want to know, well, why? Did she know that Jesus had arrived back? Was she full of grief 
and she couldn't, she just couldn't do it? Was that a, a sign of her trust and anticipation of just waiting on God, literally just waiting right in that house rather than rushing out to meet him? It says in verse 19 that many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. You know, the Jewish custom provided for three days a very heavy mourning. Then four of heavy mourning, followed by a lighter mourning for the remainder of the 30 days. And now you probably emotionally get kind of wiped out just reading that or hearing that. But that was the Jewish custom. Heavy mourning. Mourning. And then lighter mourning over this death. You know, that really just says just something of, 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 uh, the, of how deeply uh, they felt, um, their emotion. And I know anyone who uh, is experiencing grief, the grief and the loss of a loved one, is often so touched by the expressions of mourning by those who've come to visit. It, it really isn't so much all the words that one thinks they have to say. It's just the, the sense of rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. This is what they were doing. They were weeping with those who were weeping. Martha's comments. Words of faith. Didn't realize the Lord could do this without being physically present, though. If you'd been here, didn't have the insight to understand that, you know what, you don't have to be here. You could have just said the word, you could have just done whatever you did. You didn't have to be anywhere on the scene to be able to do it. Faith was imperfect and she thought, no, if you were just here, you, you, you could have done something. You had to be physically present, which isn't the case. And sometimes we're thinking, you know, if, if just this had happened and if I, if I had just gotten, um, or if this person had just gotten this medication or if just this drug had been developed for whatever this illness was, then, it, then something could have happened. I know, Lord, you you could have done something. You could have used that medication, but we just needed this thing and we didn't have it at that time. An imperfect faith where we could say, you know, I don't know what you're going to do, Lord. I know you've got the power and the ability and you're sovereign that if you want to heal, you can do it any way you wish, any way you like. And that's the comfort and hope we have as believers. Our lives are in the hands of the Lord, not in doctor's not in medicine. Obviously, he uses that. But our hands are in the lives, our, sorry, our lives are in the hands of God. Notice verse 22 again. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. I wondered when I was reading that, what, what exactly does she mean by that? What was she suggesting there? That if he's going to give strength for the situation now that you're back, I know you're going to provide strength. Was she, was she thinking exactly? I know that now that you're back, as imperfect as that was, thinking that he had to be back. You're going you're gonna to heal him now. He's going to be risen from the dead. Was that the thought? Do you think that was in her mind? Verse 25 and 26, these marvelous words of the Lord. I remember learning this verse from a song back when I was 17 years old. and I, It still sting, uh, stings, stings with me. No, it still sting, stuck with me today. I am... The resurrection, I can sing the song better than say it. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. 
Two classes of people. Those who have died in faith and those who are living at his return. My personal preference is I want to be living at his return. That's my hope. But there's two classes of people. To the first, he is the resurrection. And to the second, he is the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. Marvelous, marvelous verse of scripture. And we learn this as a result of Lazarus' death. This verse of scripture, Jesus applies in this situation based on the fact that somebody had died. If the Lord had healed him in his sickness, we may not even have this verse of scripture recorded. God's ways are perfect and how all the scripture has been put together. I trust, do you believe that this morning? Do you believe verse 25 and 26? I trust you do. I trust you have that hope. Well, let's move on. Time is running out. Verse 28. And when she had, or, and when she had this, she went away and called Mary her sister, saying secretly, the teacher's here. Marvelous thing for a woman to have addressed him in that way. Because Jesus spoke and taught women, which was something the Jews wouldn't even want to touch. And he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she arose quickly and was coming to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. The Jews then who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Verse 32, therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And so the Jews were saying, Behold, how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind have kept this man also from dying? When I read that, I applied that little verse of scripture in the very beginning of uh, when we read from verse 28. I like that. The teacher is here and he's calling for you. If you're not a Christian this morning, Jesus is calling for you. There's a time in our lives where he was he's calling for us and we responded to the call of salvation. What a thing. The God of the universe is calling for you. That's how personal he is. And I love verse 32 fell at his feet. That's the best place to be, isn't it? That's the best place. Did she fall at his feet in worship and, in, and combined with grief? You know, just giving herself to the Lord, going right to him. I believe she did. And then we come to verse 35, the shortest verse in the English Bible. Jesus wept. We read in scripture, you know, that he wept over the city of Jerusalem. He wept at the Garden of Gethsemane. And here he weeps. Wept over the sadness of sin. Just the whole mess of death and grief and sorrow and pain and seeing all the the consequences of sin. Was that behind his tears? Was there anything behind his tears of, of the unbelief of those who were around? I believe mostly when I read this in the whole context that he was just weeping over just the whole heartache of sin and what it's done. Verse 33, it says that the Jews were weeping 
And the, in the Greek there is loud expressions of grief. In the verse 35 for the Greek word for this, it's weeping with quietness, shedding literally tears. Jesus shed tears. You know, I don't know how you think about that, that the eternal Son of God has wept through human eyes. It brings tremendous comfort. He knows all the sorrows. He knows all the trials. He knows all the perplexities of your life today. And as the scripture says in Hebrews 4.15, he sympathizes with you. We don't have a God today who's callous and unremoved and just totally unconcerned about the events of your life. Don't ever let the devil tell you that Jesus doesn't care. Verse 35 reminds us that he does. He saw their tears in verse 36. The Jews are saying, behold, how he loved them. And yes, he did. But what they missed was is he also loved them too. He loved them too. All right, we're getting to the best part. Also here, verse 38, this wonderful miracle. Therefore, in verse 38, Jesus, therefore, again, deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone, Martha. The sister of the deceased said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench. For he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they removed the stone. And Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heardest me. And I know, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people standing around, I said it, that they may believe that thou didst send me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Amazing, isn't it? Wonderful. Powerful miracle of our God. Let's just make a couple of references to it and then we'll, we'll close. Lazarus' tomb was a cave under the earth and a stone was placed on top. And understandably so, if you were in that situation, Martha expressed horror at the thought of opening the grave. That's not something I don't think any of us would rush to say, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, sure, no problem. Been there four days. Interesting in verse 40, Jesus says, did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. The world's got that completely reversed. Seeing is believing. Jesus said just the opposite of that. And I love the fact, too, that Jesus thanked the Father. He, he, for his, all those around, he prays. And, he, in a, in a, and even in that situation, he shows his gratitude for God hearing, for his Father hearing his prayer, and he thanks him. And he's anticipating what he's going to do. That's the thing we should do when we pray, is pray with gratefulness and pray with anticipation. Not, not you know, if you can do anything, you know, in this situation but with anticipation of what God's going to do for His glory in the circumstance. Shows the oneness that the Father and the Son had in verse 42. And then He cries out with this loud voice. And I'm, you've probably read this before, but it's, a, I think, a marvelous point and well taken that if He mentioned Lazarus by name. And if He hadn't, and He had just said, Come forth, all the dead, all the bodies would have come up. But He named, mentioned him by name. How did he come out? Do you wonder that when you read verse 44? He who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings. 
Did he hobble? Did he crawl out? Some suggest, did he even come and rise up in the air and land right there in front of Jesus? Principle there then is life first. And then you notice it says in verse 44, He who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings. His face was wrapped around with a cloth. Another sign that he, this man was not alive. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Life, then liberty. Do you have, as we close this morning, do you have life? Do you have liberty? Are you freed from all the wrappings? You know what I'm talking about. The wrappings, the prejudice, the tradition, the prejudice, the besetting sin, the stuff that just sometimes you feel like I, those, the grave clothes just aren't off. It's interesting the Lord says, you know, there's something you can do about that. He tells them, unbind them and let them go. Jesus said, I'm not going to unbind them. He, he tells them to do that. There's something you can do here. And you and I, in this situation, we can't, we can't give the life. Jesus did that. But if we've got the grave clothes, if we've got something, that we just know, God wants you tonight to take that responsibility and respond accordingly to whatever those things are. Unbind them and let them go. Only Christ can raise the dead, but he does give you and I the task of removing those stones as someone has said, of stumbling and of the unwinding of those grave clothes. Well, I trust this passage of Scripture has been a blessing to you. It sure has to me as I've been preparing it over the last couple of weeks. It brings comfort that we have a God who, even though he may delay, knows what he's doing. That the delay doesn't imply indifference. That the delay doesn't mean that he's powerless, but that he's moving and he's working in his timing for his glory in our lives. And we can take comfort in that. And one day, one day, we're going to see him. And we trust it's going to be while we're still alive. And that, that might, we're going to hear that shout. We're going to be with him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we marvel at you. And we thank you that you are the Son of God, as the scriptures say, with power. We don't have a weak God today. We've got a God of power. We've got a God who cares and loves us like he loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, and a God who likes to, and loves to do miracles in our lives. We thank you for the miracle of salvation. I pray if anyone here this morning hasn't experienced the miracle of new birth, of new life, that they will so even today. Father, we thank you just for your presence, the miracle of knowing that we've got a God who hears us at all times and loves us and looks after us from the beginning of a day to the sun setting. We love you, Lord Jesus. We pray we'll glorify you in all that we do this coming week. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.